I'll be reading 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled, of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and shew unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declared we unto you, that we that also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son of Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. We appreciate Jordan reading our scripture today. Today's the first day that he has read publicly from the podium. We're very proud of him. We've got a lot of great young folks. And I was thinking a moment ago about some of the younger guys that are coming on. This past year, I think we had 10 or 11 of our young people graduate. And so that's left a void. But it's great to see young folks coming on and taking their place, and we appreciate so much Jordan and his willingness to read today. He did a great job, and we're proud of him. We're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. We're going to actually look at 1 John chapter 1 down through chapter 2, verse 2. Last week I was asked to speak for a group of people, and they wanted me to talk about peace, the subject of peace. And so I was thinking about what to say, and as I thought about the subject, I couldn't help but think about what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 4 when he talked about anxiety or worry. And he said, in nothing be anxious, but in everything, with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And then he said, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding. And so what I did was talked about how there are some things in life that rob us of peace. And so in that setting, I talked about anxiety and worry. And so in light of that, I thought about presenting a series of lessons because I thought, you know what, there are a lot of lessons that, there are a lot of things that typically rob us of the peace that passes all understanding. And so at some point in time, maybe next week, I want to talk about worry or anxiety. But tonight I want to talk about the subject of guilt and how sometimes guilt can rob us of the peace that passes all understanding. And I think 1 John is a great book to stress the fact that we ought to have peace in our relationship to God. So I want to begin tonight by first of all talking about our fellowship in Christ. And then secondly, I want us to spend a moment or two and talk about our faithfulness in Christ. And then thirdly, our faults in Christ. When you look at this lesson, really, the design of it is to give us assurance, to strengthen us, to give us confidence in our relationship to God. I want to begin by, first of all, talking about our fellowship in Christ. And John here begins by stressing the fellowship that we enjoy. First, he said, there is fellowship with deity. That would have to do with our vertical relationship. And then he talks about our fellowship with the disciples, our horizontal fellowship. Let me begin by, first of all, talking about our fellowship with deity. 
And what John is going to say is that we enjoy, first, fellowship with God, that is the Father. And then secondly, there is fellowship with God's Son, Jesus Christ. So listen, if you would, to what he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled, concerning the word of life, the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Just very quickly, let me just say this. John has in mind here Jesus Christ, the second member of the, of the Godhead, first in his pre-incarnate state, that is, before he ever assumed a human body. And then he speaks of his incarnate state, that is, when he came to earth, tabernacled among men, and dwelt in a human body. Jesus is not a created being. He has always existed. He will always exist. And so in light of that, look at verse 3. He said, That which we have seen and heard, speaking of Christ, He said, We declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Let me just, first of all, talk about the fellowship that we enjoy with deity, that is with God. Over in 1 John chapter 3, John's going to talk about how God the Father has lavished His love upon us. As a result of that, we are called the children of God, the sons of God. There's this intimate relationship that exists between God and His children. That's us. Those of us who have been baptized into Christ, we are a part of the household of God. We are a part of the family of God. We enjoy a very, a very special relationship with God the Father. But then there is this special, unique relationship, fellowship, that we enjoy with Jesus, the Son. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, Paul said, God is faithful, who has called us into the fellowship of His Son, His dear Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. When did we begin a relationship with God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son? Well, when we obeyed the gospel. When we became New Testament Christians, we were ushered into this very special relationship with deity. So first we have fellowship with deity, but then he said we have fellowship with the disciples, that is, with one another. Listen again to what he said. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with whom? With us. John is writing these Christians toward the latter part of the first century, and he's saying, look, we want you to know that we have seen, we have heard, and we have touched the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. We have seen him firsthand. We have visibly seen him. We have audibly heard him. And we want you to enjoy fellowship with us, just as we enjoy fellowship with God the Father. Now the Bible tells us that we are people of like precious faith in 2 Peter chapter 1 at verse 1. And we enjoy a special fellowship with one another. That tie that binds us together, again, is our relationship with God, 
and with Christ. When you obeyed the gospel of Christ, Paul said that you were delivered out of the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. He said, it's in that sphere that you enjoy redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to Colossians 1, 13 and 14. And so our fellowship exists first as we worship together. Luke said, speaking of the early church, the early saints, in Acts chapter 2, that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, that is, in teaching, and in fellowship, in the breaking of bread and prayers. And you think about those early church members as they communed with one another in their worship to God. The breaking of bread, the prayers there, representative of our worship to God every first day of the week. And so when we come together on the first day of the week, I understand that we are here to give honor and praise and glory to God. But there is also this sense of fellowship that binds us together. So we have fellowship in our worship and then fellowship in our work. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul discusses the fact that he and those with him were ministers through whom the saints in Corinth had believed. One of the problems in Corinth, they had cultivated following, they had cultivated this spirit of following men. And so what Paul tried to do was to discourage that because ultimately Christ is the one that, that paid the price for our sins. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul said, look, I planted, Apollos watered, but God's the one that gave the increase. In that same context, he said, look, neither is he who plants anything nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. And down in verse 9, he said, look, we are God's fellow workers. We labor together, don't we? We work together, shoulder to shoulder, side to side. We're trying to do our best to advance the cause of Christ. And so there is this sense of fellowship within our worship and with our work, within our work. Now, there's a second thing I want you to see. In light of the fact that we have fellowship with Christ, John now addresses our faithfulness in Christ. Now, John said in verse 4, Look, these things we write to you that your joy may be full. One of the things that robs us of joy and peace is a misunderstanding of our relationship to God. And sometimes because of guilt. And so what about our faithfulness to Christ? Look at verse 5. In verse 5, here's what John said. This is the message which we heard from him and declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. He said, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth or do not practice the truth. Now look at verse 7. In verse 7, John is going to address the assurance that we have in Christ. That assurance is predicated on our willingness to walk in the light. So first he's going to say, look, if we walk in the light, we have the assurance that the blood of Christ completely cleanses us from all sin. So how do I know that? Well, 
Listen to what he says. If we walk in the light, and that would simply be if we walk in harmony with his word, with his teaching, he said we have fellowship with one another. There's that horizontal fellowship. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from what? From all sin. Not just some sin, not just a little sin, but he said the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Now you have to understand that in this context, John is writing to whom? He's writing to Christians. He's not writing this letter to people who are outside the body of Christ. Why? How do I know that? Because here he's talking about those who are in a covenant relationship with God. They have already put their faith and trust in Jesus as the Son of God. Now the Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Based on their faith in God, they have repented of their sins. They've confessed His name. They have been immersed in water, rising to walk in newness of life. And so he's saying, look, if you walk in harmony with the will of God, with the truth of God, then you have this assurance that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you from all sin. Now, we talk about the fact that the blood of Christ completely cleanses us from all sin. It also constantly cleanses us from all sin. Listen again to what John said. If we walk in the light... As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Sometimes people live with doubt. And they worry about their relationship to God. And they have this idea that one day they're saved, another day they're lost. Today, they're lost. Tomorrow, they're saved. And so they are constantly, as we would say, running to both extremes. And they don't feel secure in their relationship to God. And what, what John is trying to say to believers is this. Look, if you're walking in harmony with the will of God, then you can go to bed every night with the assurance that the blood of Christ, number one, cleanses you from all sin. Now, sometimes we have doubt. Sometimes we worry. We have anxiety over our relationship to God. Do we ever mess up? Do we ever sin? Yes, we do. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. Sometimes we beat ourselves up. And sometimes we have with, within our head that we've done something, we've said something, and there's just no way God would ever forgive us. Well, John said, look, you need to understand. If your life is one that is in harmony with the will of God, then the blood of Christ completely cleanses you from all sin, and it constantly cleanses you from all sin. A couple of things here. How do I know that I'm walking in the light? Let me just give you a couple of things along these lines. Number one, I can know that I'm walking in the light if I'm trying to live a Christ-like life. Look over in chapter 2. 
In chapter 2, John said, Hereby we do know that we know him. Well, how do we know that we know him? He said, If we keep his commandments. In verse 4, he said, Who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments? He said, Is a liar. The truth is not in him. But he said, Whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. Now look at verse 6. We talk about living a Christ-like life. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. So how do I know that I'm walking in the light? Well, one way is if I'm walking in the footsteps of Christ, if I'm trying to live a Christ-like life. You remember the words of Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2 when he said, Christ also hath suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should what? Follow in his steps. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he said, Be followers, be imitators of me, even as I also am of Christ. And so here's this attitude that says, I'm trying my best to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. He is my great example. He is how I model my behavior day in and day out. Again, think about what Paul said in Philippians chapter 2. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Developing the mind of Christ. So we have the mind of Christ. We have the intent to walk in His footsteps. So first there is our Christ-like behavior. And then there is what I would call our consecrated behavior. In other words, we have consecrated our lives to Him. We have said we're going to do our best. We're going to be faithful to Him. We're going to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Now turn with me, if you would, over to chapter 2 very quickly. Look at chapter 2, verse 28. What about this consecrated life? Listen to what he says. And now, little children, abide in him. Notice the theme of abiding in Christ, walking in the light, living according to his commands. He said, abide in him. Well, why? That when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his appearing. He said, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. So here's somebody who has consecrated his life, her life, to the will of God. How do I know that I'm consecrated to the will of God? Well, one way is I'm trying to live a Christ-like life. Another way is I'm trying to the best of my ability to stay in His Word, to study, to live according to His Word, to understand His will, to be submissive to His will. I worship Him because He is my Creator. He is my Sustainer. He is my Redeemer. I'm involved in His work. I'm consecrated to Him so that I'm doing everything that I can to advance His cause, to be a light in the world, to be salt on earth. So, I'm living a Christ-like life. I'm living a consecrated life. And then there's a third thing. I'm living a changed life. Well, what about this change? Sometimes, I said a moment ago, we allow the peace of God to be robbed from us because of guilt. Because we feel guilty and we fail to understand, look, if we have... If we've stumbled and fallen, 
and made it right with God, what did he say? He said he would, what? Completely cleanse us from all sin. If we're walking in His light, what, do we have? What, what kind of assurance do we have? Well, we know that that blood is constantly working, availing in our lives. So drop down and look at chapter 3, verse 4. And I want you to note the contrast in 1 John chapter 3. He said, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness or iniquity because sin is lawlessness or iniquity. He said, you know that He was manifested to take away our sins and in Him there is no sin, speaking of Jesus. Whoever abides in Him, there's that phrase again, abiding in Him. He said, whoever abides in Him does not sin. Now, you need to understand, He's not saying that if you're a child of God, you're abiding in Him, you're walking in the light. He's not saying it's impossible for you to sin. He's not saying that once you become a child of God, you don't ever have to worry about falling short of the glory of God again. I'm not saying that at all. Well, how do I know that? Because back in chapter 1, what did He say? He said, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. Verse 10, if we say that we haven't sinned, we make him a liar. His word's not in us. So we understand that as a child of God, we can sin. Sometimes we do sin. And so he says, whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Now, this is a key verse. He who practices righteousness is righteous. Just as he is righteous. What does it mean to practice righteousness? Well, look at the contrast. Then in verse 10, he talks about those who do not practice righteousness. In this context, John is talking about a child of God. And he's saying, as a child of God, what happened when you obeyed the gospel? What happened was you said sin would no longer rule, reign in your life. You were getting out of the sinning business. That you were giving up that way of life. You remember what Paul said in Galatians chapter 5? Those who are Christ have done what? They have crucified the flesh with its passions and lust. Isn't that what Paul teaches in Romans chapter 6? That we have died to the love and the practice of sin. What we're saying is we're not going to live a, a habitual, persistent life of sin. Well, why? Because we're trying to practice righteousness. Because we're trying to be Christ-like. Because we have consecrated our lives to the Lord. Evidenced by what? By a changed life. So, pick up with me again in chapter 3. He said, He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested. Why? That He might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for His seed remains in Him. Now again, He's not saying that when you become a child of God, automatically you don't, you don't ever have to worry about sinning again. Again, how do I know that? Well, go back and look at 1 John chapter 1. Look at chapter 2. Listen to Him in chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things I write to you, what? That you may not sin. That's God's ideal. Well, what is that ideal? That I rise above sin, that I live above, that I live above a life practicing sin and unrighteousness. But he said, if anyone sins. So that, that's how I know 
then I can stumble and fall. The ideal, rise above sin. But he said, if you do sin, you need to understand you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So in verse 9, he said, whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him. One of the ways that we rise above sin is by taking the Word of God and embedding it into our heart, into our lives. You remember the words of Paul in Colossians chapter 3, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly? Or what about what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Or what about what Jesus said in Luke chapter 8, verse 11, that the seed of the kingdom is what? The word of God. The psalmist said, your word have I laid up in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. So I take the word of God, I embed it into my heart, and I try to live it out every day. Is God's word a preventative to sin? Yes, it is. What did Jesus do when tempted by the devil? Three times Jesus said, it is written. So if I take the word of God, can I defend myself against the devil? Yes, I can. I take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and I do my best. Now, he said his seed remains in him. He cannot sin because he has been born of God. In other words, we've been born again. We've obeyed the gospel, John chapter 3. Born of the water and the Spirit. We're now part of the kingdom of God. And what we've said is we're out of the sinning business. We're trying to live a Christ-like life. We're consecrated to God. Evidenced by what? By a changed life. Think about Paul. When Paul obeyed the gospel, was there a difference in how he lived? Yes. At one time, what was Paul? He was known as Saul the Persecutor. And then he becomes this great gospel preacher. Well, when did all that happen? Well, you remember on the road to Damascus? He saw the Lord. Ananias goes to him, and he says to Saul of Tarsus, What are you waiting on, Saul? Arise, be baptized, and wash away your sins. And from that point forward, what did Saul of Tarsus begin doing? Seeking to the best of his ability to live a Christian life, a Christ-like life, a consecrated life, was it evident? Yes, it was. By, by what? By how he lived every day. So in verse 10, John said, In this the children of God, the children of the devil are manifest. How can I tell a child of God from a child of the devil? Here it is right here. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. In other words, that's a child of the devil. You show, you show me somebody who doesn't care about living according to the will of God, who's not Christ-like in his or her behavior, who's not consecrated to God, he or she is a child of the devil. That's what John said. But you show me somebody who is trying to practice righteousness, who has the word of God, the seed of the kingdom in his or her heart, and trying to live a Christ-like life, trying to be consecrated to God, demonstrating that by a changed life. And I'll show you somebody that God blesses. So, can we live with assurance? I don't want you to leave here tonight and think that you can't be certain or sure about your relationship to God because what John is saying is, look, you can. You can know. Matter of fact, John goes on to point out, look over in chapter 5 very quickly. We talk about this idea of not knowing whether we're saved or lost. And one day we feel saved, one day we feel lost. It's a lifestyle. 
In other words, it is a progressive, consistent lifestyle, day in, day out. And so in 1 John chapter 5, verse 11, John said, This is the testimony, this is the record, this is the witness, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is where? It's in His Son. Are you in the Son? Are you walking in the light? Look, if you're walking in the light, then you're in the Son. He said, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now let me tell you what, a third grader could understand that. It's just that simple. We talk about our ABCs. This is the ABCs of Christianity. And so in verse 13, here's what he said. These things I have written to you. Well, why did he write? Why did he write Christians in the first century about A.D. 95 or 96? Well, here's why. He said, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Well, why? That you might know, K-N-O-W, that you might know that you have eternal life. So you mean to tell me I can go home tonight and I can go to bed and I can go to sleep and I can rest assured that I'm in Christ and that if something were to happen, I can go home to be with Him forevermore. That's exactly what I'm saying. He said, these things I've written to you that you may be, that, that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Now listen to the continuation. And that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. There is this continuous, progressive action summed up in what? In walking in the light, in abiding in Him, in living for God, day in, day out, practicing righteousness. So, first, there's fellowship with Christ. Secondly, there is faithfulness to Christ. That's what we're talking about, being faithful. If you're faithful and you're trying to do your dead level best day in, day out, you're saved. That's what John's saying. Well, what about, what about our faults in Christ? Because we understand we're not going to be perfect. There are going to be times when we say we do things that we shouldn't do. There are going to be times when we succumb to temptation. Because as Peter said, the devil walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. That's why he would say in verse 9, whom we stand steadfast in the faith. We have to resist the devil, and the promise is he'll flee from us. Sometimes we don't resist. Sometimes he gets the best of us. Sometimes, just to be honest, he whips us. And so what do we do? Well, first, John said, we acknowledge our sin. Go back again and look at verse 9. Let me just say this. Within this point, there are two things. First, there is the recognition of sin. Back in verse 8, he said, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Now, transition to chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, he said, these things are right to you, that you may not sin. What he's saying is, look, I want you to live above sin. That's what, that's what God desires of all of us. 
that we live above a life of willful, habitual sin. But if we sin, we recognize it, and then what do we do? We repent of it, don't we? We acknowledge it to God, and we say, you know what, I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to do my dead level best from here forward. Remember Jesus said, except you repent. You remember Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8 when he was instructed to repent of his wickedness? There are times when we realize, look, I messed up. I said something. I did something. I shouldn't have done it. And so I acknowledge that to God. I repent of my sins. So there is this acknowledgement of sin. And then secondly, there is our advocate in sin. Here's what he said. If anyone sins, that is, if you succumb to temptation, you give in. He said, you need to know you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is a propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. What's he saying? He's saying this. You acknowledge your sin. You recognize, you recognize your fault. You repent of that fault. And then the promise is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is standing before the bar of heaven. It's like a courtroom scene. And here's God the Father, and here's Jesus the Son. And Jesus is pleading our case before the Father. The basis upon which we are exonerated or forgiven is what? Go back to verse 7, chapter 1. The blood of Christ. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of His Son Jesus does what? Cleanses us from all sin. All He's saying is, look, when you mess up, and you acknowledge it, that is, you realize it, you repent of it, what does God do? He forgives you. Well, how do I know that? Because here's what John said, verse 9, chapter 1. If we confess our sins, listen to him, he is faithful. Do you trust God? Do you believe that God will do exactly what he said? I think sometimes we don't trust God. Sometimes we fail to take God at his Look, when God says he'll do something, he'll do it. The Bible says we live in hope of life eternal, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. You may not be able to trust a lot of folks in this world, but I can assure you one thing. You can trust God. When God says He will do something, He'll do it. That means when you obey the gospel, I don't care how deep in sin you are, when you comply with the will of God, you know what He does? He forgives you. Acts 2.38. He remits your sins. When you're a child of God, you stumble and fall, and you acknowledge that and confess it before Him, you repent of that, what does He do? Here's what He says. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to do what? To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now I want to ask you a question tonight. Are you trying to live a faithful life? Paul said that we have the peace that passes all understanding. How many times do we allow guilt? How often in life do we feel guilty over something we've done? And we have acknowledged it. We've repented of it. God has assured us. He's forgiven us. But what do we do? We continue to beat ourselves up over it. 
Is it not the case that sometimes we'll do something, and maybe we did something several days ago, several weeks ago, maybe even several months ago or several years ago. We acknowledged it, we asked God to forgive us, and what do we do? We continue to bring it up to Him. You need to understand, God forgave you of that a long time ago. Again, it comes back to trusting what God says. Look, we're not perfect. If we were perfect, we wouldn't need Jesus. We're not perfect. But as long as we're making a concerted effort to walk in the light, to do His will day in, day out, guess what? The blood of Jesus is working in our lives. And we can, we can have the assurance that come what may, one day we'll be with Him in, in heaven. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, I want you to understand that there is a way for you to become a child of God. There's a way out of sin. That way is through Jesus. It runs straight through Him. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Well, what did Jesus say? He said, you need to believe that he is the Son of God. Because if you don't believe that he is the Son of God and you die in your sins, he said, where I am, there you cannot come. You need to repent of all your sins. That is, turn away from a life of sin. Quit practicing unrighteousness. And then you need to confess his name before others. Be immersed in water so that all your sins can be washed away, just like they did on Pentecost Day, Acts 2.38. And God the Father will put you in the church. And if you're faithful until death, the promise is the crown of life, Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. That's what God said. So if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, I would encourage you to come to Christ. Now, it might be that you're a child of God. And maybe because of sin in your life, you're not in fellowship with God. I would encourage you to repent, to come home. You know, the Bible says confess your faults, confess your sins one to another, pray one for another. We'd be happy to pray with you and for you. And God will abundantly pardon as we stand and sing.